Yes, but if that was all he wanted, he could have simply taken a penknife and opened an artery. It seems to me that the killer wanted Bishop to die directly from damage inflicted by the particular spike he was using. I think he wanted Bishop to die slowly from as many cuts as possible, and so he deliberately avoided running the risk of delivering a knockout blow. And this weapon, which was clearly so special to the perpetrator, what do we know about it? It was a short, thin skewer, exactly five centimetres long, mounted in a metal handle of some sort, the shoulders of which were approximately four millimetres across. And the killer? Newson asked. What do the wounds he inflicted tell us about him, or her? Well, he's a thorough sort of person, isn't he? Those pricks were not made by somebody who was either careless or in a hurry. He's a cool customer, too. After all, he was in that house for many hours. He must have understood that he could have been disturbed at any time. Do you think that the victim had allowed himself to be restrained? There are certainly no signs of a struggle. What about the toilet paper? All I can tell you, said Dr. Clark, is that the paper was mainly still dry and also in goodish condition when I retrieved it from the victim's throat. Therefore, I am confident that it was pushed into Bishop's mouth after he died. Inspector Newson and Sergeant Wilkie stood together in the queue at a Starbucks in St. John's Wood. "'What do you think, then?' asked Sergeant Wilkie. "'Since the moment I walked into the murder room, I've been thinking that whoever killed Adam Bishop is going to kill again.' "'Why's that, then?' Wilkie asked. As she spoke, she turned slightly towards him, causing him to become painfully aware of her bra. He could see at least a square inch of it peeking from between the buttons of her blouse. Newton could feel his face glowing hot. He was thirty-four, not fifteen. How could he be so pathetic? He struggled to readjust his gaze. I think he will kill again because the scenario indicates that he is psychopathic, and being a psycho is not a part-time thing, particularly if his problems are sexual. What possible reason do you have for supposing that this was a sex crime? The killer bled his victim to death in a carefully prepared and highly specific manner. In my experience, people who feel the need to do that sort of thing are driven to it by a very deep-seated urge. They had by now arrived at the counter. One small latte, he said to the lanky, arrogantly handsome French youth who was facing him across the counter. One pound twenty, please, the youth said, and turned to Natasha, who ordered a grande caramel and chocolate latte with mallows, for which Newson insisted on paying. They sat down, and Natasha dug in her briefcase in order to produce a sheaf of interview notes. Over two hundred people spoken to so far, Natasha said. They divide into two groups, people who were terrified of Adam Bishop and people who just hadn't met him yet. I also have a profile from the local police. They knew Adam Bishop very well, and he sounds like an absolute bastard. They don't think this is a psycho thing at all, and quite frankly, I don't either. This is a builder thing. Adam Bishop got done in by some angry rival or other. I don't think angry rivals in the building trade do their killing with blunt five-centimetre-long spikes. Look, Ed, Adam Bishop was a disgusting, ugly pig of a man. I refuse to believe that anybody seeking psychopathic sexual gratification would choose a lump like that. Surely the most obvious motive is that this is a builder's tiff. There's a lot of very tough people in the building trade. Bishop made the wrong enemies, and they stabbed him to death to warn off others. Stabbed him to death 347 times with a five-centimetre-long skewer. It would warn me off. I just think that it seems like a very mean-spirited little weapon with which to kill so big and violent a man. 
Not the weapon I would imagine avenging navvies would choose. Perhaps they wanted to belittle him, you know, a little prick for a little prick. Look how many times the attacker stabbed the scrotum. You cannot deny that the pricking is more intense there than on the limbs or back. And there's also a thick cluster of stabs in the anus. Bishop must have been faced out for hours. Just look at the photos. Thanks, I've seen them, said Natasha. I took them, and Mr. Bishop's lacerated arse is something I'm trying not to remind myself of. No close-up images of stab wounds are pleasant, but these were peculiarly horrible, even in Newson's considerable experience. The killer seemed to have taken such care with his pricks. This was no frenzied attack. It was considered. The killer took aim. He took aim 347 times. He chose each new target carefully, took aim, and drove in his spike. Well, that doesn't make it sexual. No, but it makes it very, very weird. And in my experience of police work, weird rarely happens only once. Inspector Newton and Sergeant Wilkie drove to Wilsdon in Natasha's Renault Clio, and stood once more before the house in which the horror had occurred. Bishop must have been in agony for the best part of twenty-four hours, said Newson. Did nobody hear his screams? No, because of the music, Natasha referred to her notebook. The bishops usually had their music on, and they liked it loud. Early seventies, middle of the road, mostly. All night? On the night in question, it was on all day and then all night, but nobody had the guts to complain. Perhaps the neighbours did it, he mused. Well, I can assure you that not one of them is sorry he's dead. It would certainly explain why nobody seems to have seen anything or to know anything. Come on, let's go and talk to Lady Macbeth. Mrs. Bishop was clearly a proud woman, and despite of the horror of what she'd been through, it was obvious to Newson that she had no intention of allowing herself to appear vulnerable, particularly to the police. She had applied heavy makeup to the marks left around her mouth by the duct tape. I'd let him in. That's all there is to it. The only way in is a front door, and no one gets through that less Ad or me wants them to. Ad's a very big bloke, you know. Or he was. So you think that Mr. Bishop might have known his assailant? I just know he let him in, that's all. Nobody gets near us unless we want him to. Please tell us what happened on the morning your husband was attacked. I'd been out of the shops, and Ad was at home because he'd been on the piss the night before. Ad slept in, and I went out about nine... I went down to Knightsbridge because Prada and Gucci were both having sales. I was gone about two hours. I let myself back in was just shouting for Juanita to get my shopping in out of the boot when the bastard jumped me. From behind. Of course from behind. Otherwise he'd have had me fucking Jimmy choosing his bollocks. So you were unable to struggle. He drugged me, effing coward. Got a swab right on my face. Next thing I know I'm all taped up in the kitchen staring at Juanita, who was also restrained. Yeah. Not that you need to restrain her, she's like a lapdog, that woman. You didn't see your assailant. I felt his arm round my neck, that's all. I reckon he was a fit sort of bloke. Not big, but wiry. And what happened after you came to? Nothing. Me and Juanita just had to sit there, staring at each other all day and all night, listening to my own stereo, which the bloke had put on in the lounge room. Full bleeding bore. Everly Brothers and Move It, Del Shannon and the Platters, over and over again. But whenever there was a gap between tracks or a quiet ballad came on, we'd hear Ad screaming in the master bedroom upstairs, all night. Anyway, in the morning, Ad stopped screaming, and we could hear the bloke leaving, and after that we just kept sitting till my Lisa Marie let herself in, bringing the kiddies round. Juanita, the bishop's maid, 
testified that Mr. Bishop had let the man in himself and shown him into the lounge. Juanita had gone in to ask if they required anything and had been dismissed. The intruder had been sitting with his back to the door, and Juanita had only seen the top of his head. She could not recall the colour of his hair. Newson noted that Juanita was in the habit of avoiding people's eyes. He imagined that the bishops would not have been the kindest of employers. At the end of the second day of the inquiry, Newson and Wilkie agreed to compare notes over pizza. You don't have to get back, Newson inquired. Aren't you saying Lance tonight? Lance is a dickhead, Sergeant Wilkie replied. So are you finishing with him? If he carries on the way he's going, I will. So you're not finishing with him? Newson could never work out how such a clever and apparently together girl like Natasha should be incapable of finishing with a man who was so obviously a waste of her time. A boyfriend whose sole contribution to her life appeared to be to eat her food, spend her money and put her down. Except, of course, Newson knew that Lance did far more for Natasha than that. He excited her. He thrilled her. He made her laugh. Newson glanced across the table, staring momentarily into those big, dark, intelligent eyes set in that small, delicate face. Once more a sense of his own helpless inadequacy swept over him. Newson loved Natasha, and the pain would simply have to be endured. So do you think our bloke's a serial perv, then? Natasha asked, oblivious to Newson's torment. We know that Bishop had a million enemies. I just don't see any need to drop some shadowy pervert into the mix. If the killer was someone with a motive to kill, he would never have got into the house, let alone been served a drink. Bishop may have been the victim of some terrible feud, but the killing was also very specific. I believe that if Mr. Bishop had not died in the manner in which he did, the killer would have deemed his murder a failure.